Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, it is Father's Day weekend, and uh, a very good shout out, big shout out to my dad and my stepfather, Vic. And, and you know, there's something about families and how they continue their father's legacy. And, and the Douglas family, patriarchal of Kirk Douglas, is no exception. I mean, Kirk Douglas, 103 years old, but look at the legacy and the kids he leaves behind, Michael Douglas, of course. And my next guest, was the creator, the producer of this uh, feature called A Father, A Son, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mr. Taylor Purdy. Thanks for joining me. Hey, yeah. I'm glad to be able to talk about it. So let's talk about this. Obviously, you didn't, uh, this didn't come out of thin air. Did you have a love of the Douglas family? Is that why you wanted to make this project happen? So this actually kind of came out of something that Kirk wanted to do himself. I think he, he kind of like hit a point in his life when he, felt able to look back on everything maybe a little more honestly than he would have been at a different point. Um, and so he reached out to um, the film's director, Lee Grant, who had been a co-star of his and is a film legend and Oscar winner in her own right. Um, and so Lee uh, um, works with my producing partners frequently. And so they kind of put it all together. And I came in more primarily recently for the uh, – the re-release of this Lee Grant's films last year uh, had kind of disappeared, even though one of them had won the Oscar and they were fabulously groundbreaking. Um, but last year they kind of came back into the public eye and I came on to oversee that part. And this is one of my favorites in the collection because it's a little lighter. And the, like you said, the Douglases are fascinating, but I think this primarily came out of Kirk wanting to say, Hey, ask me anything. This is my 2004 Reddit AMA, and I'm open. I'm an open book. Now, I see you're the creator, curator, I should say, of the series. So do you find yourself in sort of that TCM kind of feeling where you're doing these curations? Or what? what what's your style like? Um, so this is a kind of a very particular corner for me. Um, most of the time, I'm a filmmaker, um, but Grant uh with somebody that I, I grew up with and she works with people that I work with all of the time. And so kind of over the last couple of years, one day kind of off the cuff she said to me, um about something that was in the news, like, hey, I think I made a movie about that. And I looked back and she had made a number of uh films about things that are suddenly in the public consciousness. Like um in eighty five she made a film all about what it was like to be a transgender person in Reagan's America. But she made it in 85, and suddenly the rights reverted back to her. So I kind of went through her, her catalog of docs, and it turned out that uh, all of the kind of like the most like hard-hitting films of hers uh, were things that somehow they still had the rights to, um, including Down Out America, which had won the Oscar, and uh, this one, which, like I said, it's just, it's, I, I, I like being able to put it in the series one because it's it, it breaks up some of the like like hardcore social action documentary things and also it's really in conversation with Grant's own persona. She her first film uh, was Detective Story with Kurt Douglas, which she was nominated for when she was 24. She won the Cannes Film Festival Award for it, um, and then was blacklisted like before she could go to the Oscar ceremony. But Douglas, as kind of this recurrent character in her life, I think it is fascinating, probably why they decided to work together on this. He was the star in her first movie. Um, and then years later, Michael and her husband, um, slash producer, Joseph Peary, would be great friends in what we call the New Hollywood era in the 1970s. Well, um, we, had met, we had actually met Lee Grant at the film forum oh. uh, after one of her documentaries. I believe it was Down and Out in America. I could be wrong, but... I think that, that was the one. And let me tell you, she is so spry and she is so talkative. He, my dad and I and her hit it off. I mean, it was very cool to meet her at the that's film so, That's so cool. That was that was like one of the days that I wasn't there. That's so crazy. Sure. Okay. And so that was pretty cool. But I could see that, uh, you know, she's a very film historian herself. So I could see that love of Douglas. And so you come in because you – and obviously you're doing this because you're interested in the Douglas family as well, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, part of, like you said, like he lived to be like 100 or 100, 101. And part of that, he's, like, oh my God. But part of that means that both he and then like, you know, obviously the rest of the family, 
a look at Kirk Douglas's career is a look at like Hollywood in the 20th century. Like he hits so many corners of it. Um, so it's hard to be a, a, Kirk, a real Kirk Douglas fan without having an interest just in like the arc of cinema. Um, what do you think of the yeah. what, what do you think of the state of fatherhood in America? Like it seems like there's a sector that doesn't want to honor Father's Day even. So <laughs> I mean, is his is his role sort of the ideal what what the patriarchal family should be? What what are your thoughts on that? So that's definitely one of the things that I think is most interesting about the way that uh, Grant did this film, and it's that. You know, Kirk doesn't come off as a great father in, in this film, um, but he comes off as a man who found himself at the crossroads of, like, almost, like, destiny. He, he's not just a movie star. We almost can't imagine. He's like, I don't know, Robert Downey Jr., the height of Iron Man of his day. He's not just a movie star. He's the biggest movie star in the world. And that's cool. He's Spartacus, right? He's Spartacus. He is Spartacus. And that's cool and great for him, but it also means that that doesn't leave a lot of time for hanging out with the kids. And yet, in both of in in both of his marriages, he made a point to, in my opinion, choose women who were intelligent and strong-willed and would make good mothers in his absence. And one of the things about Douglas is about Kirk Douglas. You know, he's not just an actor. He is like a prolific memoirist. He's written numerous, numerous memoirs, all different things. And one recurrent theme is his terrible relationship with his own father, but his fabulous relationship with his mother. He went on to name the production company after her. And sometimes there's this element of, you know, he can see that he can't make a home for dinner. He can see that he has to build this career over the course of the first marriage and then kind of can keep it going, keep this like absurd level of stardom alive during the second marriage. And in some ways, I think that he sacrificed a lot of the family elements for that. But he did make a point to choose these women that he, I think, trusted with rearing his children. I mean, by the time his second marriage rolls around, he's already way more established and can hang out with the kids more. And I think uh, Michael probably benefited from that. Well, but, let's talk about that because obviously yeah. Michael... I think he's a great actor in his own right. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he yeah. has a namesake, but he definitely was distinct from his father, wasn't he? Oh, 100%. I mean, and not what just as... as not just as an actor. Is there something... Oh, sorry, there you go. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you're good. Uh, not just as an actor, though. I mean, you know, uh, as a producer on The China Syndrome and Cuckoo's Nest, um, and so just kind of for uh, anybody who's not a major film nerd, the kind of background context is obviously Kirk Douglas is a star of like Golden Era Hollywood, classic old school Hollywood. We all kind of get what that is. But the era where Michael's coming up in the late 60s, early 70s is a period that we call New Hollywood. And it's an important moment because it's where kind of the culture clash of the 60s made it to Hollywood. And the people running the studios by the early 70s realized the old guard had no idea what was going on, and they kind of opened up the gates to this new group of young filmmakers, which is how you get Scorsese and George Lucas and Hal Ashby. And Douglas is right in there with them. And um, once we went to the Cuckoo's Nest, which, you know, definitely, Nicholson was a movie star by then, but this canonized, and that film is incredible and legendary and won the Oscar. But, it, um, and it's a really important moment both in Douglas's career because he steps into his own right as a producer and a filmmaker and kind of a power player who's making important work, not just popular work. But it's a rift between Haney and Kirk that they, like, dealt with for the rest of their lives. And in some ways, one of the first, I think, the, the, one of the only times they really talk about, they, like, kind of talk about this, this rift in their lives and move past that, I think, is in this movie. And the problem was that uh, Kirk Douglas had bought the rights to Cougar's Nest. He'd done it on Broadway. He played the Jack Nicholson role and was kind of nursing along, wanting to produce it and uh, make it, play the role himself. And eventually he was going to give up. He couldn't set it up at any studio. And Michael said, hey, Dad, like, give me a chance. Like, I'm in with the young guys. Let me see if I, can, if I can do it. And, of course, Douglas got the money, or Michael Douglas got the money. Um, but Kirk was too old to play it. And this was a big problem for them because Michael had to essentially 
takes the like takes the script, takes the rest of the movie, fires his dad from it, and then you know insult to injury, Jack Nelson goes on and wins the Oscar for it. And so I think Kirk for years felt like totally um, torn down and replaced by Michael over the course of Kirk's that. Well, I want to talk about the footage that's in this film because it looks very vintage. It looks home movie style. So how did you guys collect oh, all of this, and how did that come about? Okay, so I'm glad that you asked because that is one of the craziest things about this film. Um, I mean, you know, you make a documentary about any family. You interview them. You have, like, home movie footage. But uh, getting a home movie footage from the Douglas Archive, whole other thing. So there was, like, a whole, produ- a whole corner of the production that was just, uh, one of the one of the producers, Roberta Morris, um, just like incursed private archives, going through this footage, going through you know the super eight footage, the sixty millimeter footage, just um you know trying to see what was cool, and that's one whole element of the archival home footage stuff. There's something I think it's actually in the film, um, of like Walt Disney coming to. Walt Disney inviting the Douglas family to Disney World for a private tour, which is super cool because your dad's a movie star and you can do that. But then at the end of the day, uh, Walt Disney filmed this and kind of turned it into this propaganda commercial of like, well, if Kurt Douglas brings the family to Disneyland, you should too. But Douglas and Disney are on opposite sides of so many things, not least of all the Hollywood blacklist. I'm not the whole corner. But then the, uh, like, the footage from the films, I mean... It was just the first, I think the first minute of the film has like 12 clips of Spartacus and the Battle of Beautiful and all of these major motion pictures. And just like, the, the studio didn't give Kirk that for free. And going through that and licensing all of those things from all of these different studios from every different era of his career, it's lucky that Kirk was still kind of beloved in Hollywood because if it, he'd been a guy that the studios were mad at 30 years later, who knows what they would have to work with on this. And that combination of like going through the studio archives. Are you saying there was a possibility Kirk Douglas could have been canceled if he disagreed with the industry? Is that what you're telling me? Kirk Douglas went to war with the industry and won. Um, We were talking about the blacklist. I mean, yeah, totally. You know, know, from the best of hindsight, it feels like, oh, man, you know, he's Kirk Douglas. He could, you know, was always going to be a movie star. But every year, if you don't make a movie, there's a chance you disappear. And he is working in the studio system. You know, you, you, you piss off, you know, MGM, piss, piss off Mayer. Who knows what's going to happen to you? And one of his most important contributions to, I would argue, American culture, not just film culture, is, and there's some contention over who gets credit for this, but I'm going to give it to Kirk. Um, he's credited with uh, breaking the Hollywood blacklist in a way by crediting Dalton Trumbo, the blacklist writer, on Spartacus, which was, Something that, you know, you, um, you know, the SUAC committees had a list of actors and writers and everybody who you couldn't hire. And it was really, really bad if you hired them. It was illegal to hire them. They could not work in film and television. Um, a lot of them, including Trumbo, who is prolific, um, wrote under pseudonym. Um, and Douglas insisted, like, hey, this movie is so good. I am such a big movie star. This movie cost the studio too much money. They're not going to pull it. I'm not going to fight me too hard. I think I can put the real writer's name on the film. And even among his team, there was some discussion on, like, well, I don't know, maybe Stanley Kubrick, the director, should take credit, and on and on and on. And so Douglas said, no, screw that. We're putting Dalton's name on. And they did, and it was the film was such a giant hit that it effectively began, it was the beginning of the end of this period of the blacklist. Wow. This is uh, very intense because, some people may not know that history. I mean, I'll see the guy on screen, but they don't. How many? Well, percentage wise, how much do you think people know of that history of Kirk Douglas besides the film? Like, do you think there's a good portion, or there's some people that don't know oh, a I'm lot sure, about him? Oh, I'm sure there's tons of people who don't know about. I mean, I'm sure there. I've sometimes have to talk about Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas' dad at this point. Hmm. So definitely, there are people who don't know about that element. I'm sure there are tons of people who do. It's a very like famous thing, but, you know, it's famous to a different generation, perhaps. And um, yeah, and yeah, totally relevant, because, you know, we're still dealing with ideas of blacklisting and free speech in Hollywood. So, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, to be a conservative in general in Hollywood is very, very frowned upon, it seems like. I mean, that's the general 
scaling. Maybe you have some insight to that, but that's what it feels like right now. I mean, there is a cliche that conservatism in Hollywood is always kind of looked down upon, and that's true. Um, and I mean, I guess the line is always like, there's conservatism and there's being a dick. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a lot of lines that people are always trying to walk there. And that's kind of what's scary. I mean, in a lot of ways, and we just did a really good interview on this. Um, in a lot of ways, it's not fair comparisons, the Hollywood blacklist to cancel culture, but there is no one of them being in conversation with one another. And I do think that that's an important thing for everybody on every side to uh, take stock of. So I, I hope that the history of the blacklist comes more and more into the consciousness, one, because it should be always, and two, because in a number of ways it, it, it speaks to what we're dealing with now. We're seeing a lot of stories about, you know, some here and there about how Tim Crosby wasn't a great father or, you know, just oh, general, yeah. just general, like, outpouring of my father wasn't this good. But does this film give fatherhood a hope? Is there a hope for a fatherhood through this movie? Or? Oh, 100%, man. And I... So one of the things that's really great about this movie, and I would say derivative of what kind of the style that this that Grant and uh, our producing team kind of was working with and period they made this, is this is not like a talking head documentary. This is not like, and then in 1957, Kirk Douglas won the mm-hmm. Academy Award. This is, the whole thing was built around Kirk and Michael sitting at a dinner table, just like shooting the shit. And, beca- and because of that style and because, um, Kirk um, and Lee Grant had such a history together. This is like, there's something both like conversational, intimate about it, but also I think the, the Douglas family trusted Grant and her team and family to lampoon them and call out their foibles in a loving but fair way. And so there's a very real sense of like, family in this movie. I mean, it is about family, but I mean, Kurt and Michael and Michael's brothers and Catherine Zeta-Jones is in it and Michael's son Cameron is in it and it really is just this sense of if, I don't know, like in some ways the calmest, most star-studded Thanksgiving dinner um, with a, a ton of great studio footage. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, they're they lay the two of them especially, it's really built around Kirk and Michael. And they lay kind of all of their trials and successes with one another on the table and they try to find a way to forgive one another. And I think at the end of the day, more than just like, oh, fatherhood is great, this is a very real um kind of celebration of fatherhood because it says, Yeah, dads are important and you need them. But boy oh boy, are they not always great? And how do we deal with that together? And at this point in time 2021, um, like Michael is a grandfather twice over. His son Cameron just had a, his memoir come out like a year ago. And this legacy continues, and it is a, a convoluted and not smooth legacy. But one consistent element is this sense of them working through their scars of one another and frequently doing it through art, whether it's the film or Cameron's memoir. They're trying to still be a family, and I think largely they succeed. Taylor, i got to ask you something personal. I mean, personally, going through, this, through these clips, how did you feel knowing that you loved the Douglas family and then you've seen this? What was that like for you? Sure. Um, I mean, there's always that element of how much you want to know about your heroes and, oh. and all of that, but I, I do think that for me, there really is an element of Kirk was such a star that, I mean, I, I can imagine not being able to make it home for dinner every day. And that's a choice that he makes. And like somebody might say, well, maybe you need to choose between being a movie star and being a father, but you can't do that in 1950s. He couldn't have, he wouldn't have been allowed to be a movie star without a family. The studio would have forced him to marry. We know that there's endless history of that. Well, let's talk um, about that because obviously the point, well, let me finish it up, but you just struck no, another no, question. No, uh, because, um, you know, in the 50s and 40s, you wanted that perfect American family. So it seems what you're saying is Hollywood did the best to make that appearance for the Douglas family, would you say? So I'd say that it's kind of a 50-50 in their case, because there are stars of that era that literally had crafted families that the studio picked 
or, you know, they said you can't marry that one, you could marry this list of 10. Kirk Douglas is a straight man who married straight women and had children with him. He chose his own wives because he, in some ways, by being a straight man, was able to do that. And yet, yeah, that image, there. I mean, the image is totally crafted. I mean, I mentioned this going to Walt Disney uh, land and Disney kind of taking advantage of that. But, of course, every, every time he steps out of his house, there's a team of press agents. Um, in some of the um, – so uh, the movies just came back out. They're finally available again um, in a number of places. But uh, Real One, which is the, the – um, the distributors like special. It's the only place we have the like the special edition of the film. Uh, RealOne.com has all, the film and all of like the Douglas archive stuff, and those are great, super cool. And in one of them, they have footage of him taking his handprints on um, like the Chinese theater. You know that that kind of classic thing. And I mean, everything from like, hey, you've got to go do this now to he's having a swimming party and it's like Rita Hayworth and her PR team are in the background because this was, you know, arranged. Um, but that's how the system works. Well, uh, but for you, Taylor, it was just getting to how you felt watching all these clips. Just elaborate on that a little bit. I mean, yeah, balancing out the like artist and the art is always a bit of an issue, but I what I, I guess I feel like they aren't the they're not the family that anybody would paint to put on you know nineteen fifty sitcom, but that's why they're so relatable and, and real. I mean no family is, you know, the Lima the Beaver family. And then you take not stardom, but super stardom and put that on top. To me it's amazing that Michael Douglas manages to have a career of, of his own. I mean, there's so many children of celebrities that just can't either deal with Hollywood or deal with a lot of the world because the, the like, stardom is an unnatural thing. And it has a lot of ripple effects, especially on a growing mind. And the fact that anyone in that family managed to not just like come out stable, but succeed and thrive. I think it's a testament to how in early in his career, Kirk started to realize like, wow, I am being a giant star, but maybe my home life isn't perfect. And then by the time his second marriage rolls around, he kind of doubles down on trying to find a way to build the same way out and be the father that his children deserve. And I, I think that he started to turn it around maybe a little too late in all, everybody's lives, but he does do it. Um, and I did it being able to do that, period, while being the biggest movie star in the world is a feat of manhood. Um, so you're saying no addiction or anything ran through that family at all? Or, oh, or? oh, oh, there's definitely addiction in that family, which is terrifying. Um, from my understanding, that's something that Kirk dealt with much. And that, I mean, mostly the Douglases, and this is maybe this makes sense, the Douglases who you've heard of largely are the ones who either didn't deal with that too much or beat it quickly. I mean, one of the really heartbreaking elements of actually making this film was that there were interviews set up with um, Eric Douglas, one of the brothers, um, that we just never got because he died while this film was being made. He, he died from his addiction. Um, and that's terrifying. But then the flip side is Cameron Douglas, uh, Michael's eldest son, um, has very publicly struggled with addiction for most of his life. He talks about it in this film. He's like 20-something at this point. And now he's a father. I think he's in this, this film is from 2005, so he's much older than that now. Um, but he's been very candid about how addiction was very difficult for him and how it sent him to jail multiple times. And yet he was lucky enough to, it seems like he's beaten it now. And yes, well, and that's because, as, as, as you said earlier, these the stars still made sure family came first, it seems like. That's how Cameron was able to go through, because I'm sure Michael supported him through that, maybe even for did too. Oh, I mean, they, they definitely were an emotionally supportive family and obviously a financially supportive family insofar as I'm sure they, you know, paid legal fees. 
But at the end of the day, uh, Eric Douglas, Michael's brother, has succumbed to his addiction um, in 2004 or five. So, I mean, there's also that element of support can only go so far, especially in some ways non-professional support can only go so far. Um, but I would say Cameron is a good example of going to like that. I mean, like I said, his memoir is out and he's pretty candid about how into the depths of addiction he got. It wasn't just, oh, boy, oh, boy, that was a party and I partied too hard. He ends up in jail, I think, a number of times for long stretches of time. And yet, on the other side, he came out and he, re- he I, I think now he's married to the woman that he's been dating when he went in the last time and they came together and now they have a child. And so that is a very typical roadmap. But at the end of the day, it still ends with family and fatherhood. Um, Taylor, I've got to ask you this because obviously you're a curator and you love to be in front of the people, but on a personal note, how did you do this pandemic? Were you curating on Zoom? Like, what was that oh like for you? Oh, my God. Um, so the curation element, yeah, there was, uh, the, you know, we got good at Zoom. And I would say getting Lee good at Zoom was um, something I actually didn't think that she'd be interested in or figure out. But um, I was, like, trying to explain Zoom to the people that she – I was – I was – out of New York for most of the apocalypse, and Lee was with her husband and his twin sister in Manhattan. And I'd been trying to accept interviews for all of us to do, and Zoom just seemed too much. And then one day I got like an invite from them, and it was like, hey, come to so and so's Zoom birthday party, you and all of the noxygenarians. Um, and so, yeah, there was a learning curve, especially curating things that both involve older people and are maybe targeted at older people. Um, yeah. And yet, I will say, it seems like everybody kind of figured it out. And I, in my experience, by like May or June, uh, even like the like older audiences for like, like this is the kind of series that was playing at like repertory houses in older neighborhoods. And everybody seemed to figure out how to tune into the virtual cinema. So that That's was awesome. I'm glad you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned. You know, people in the in the different virtual world because I know we're probably talking to, <laughs> sorry, movie fanatics right now. Yeah. So, and some of them may even know from the 2005 documentary. So the remastering. What what's different? What's new? What what did you guys add to it? Um. So, on this particular film, because it was made more recently, we had a little less work to do. It's made from the. HBO Master, which only had a couple flaws that I had to go in and kind of just find other digital footage to replace the back footage with. But for me, the really cool thing is that on the special edition, which is on uh, Real One, not on Amazon or the other places, um, it's got a, a number of things that we pulled right from Kirk's home archive. Home archive. One, one of the things is like the home movies, and it's all his little boys hanging out by the pool, but then, like I said, like suddenly Lana Turner walks in or somebody like that. And that just kind of adds life for them. Then there's the kind of more official home movies, like I was talking about him getting his handprint. So that's for the, like, that's the glitzier side of it. And then there's a really great interview that we filmed kind of around the time we were making this movie that, uh, that I re-edited some new things for, of uh, Lee talking about the making of the film. And that's interesting because, you know, Grant had been through all of the 20th century right there with them. And her, her, her career is kind of, I believe it started by Kirk and her career kind of runs parallel both with both of the Douglases. She's got a foot in classic Hollywood. And then of course her most famous films are from new Hollywood because she'd been blacklisted in the middle. And so her life intertwined so well with uh, both the Kirk and Michael. Um, and I really would say, like, I would, I would want people to watch those uh, those additional features because how, like, when have you ever gotten to watch Kirk Douglas' home movies? Never. They're so Never. Cool. And he filmed some of them himself. They're, yeah, it's great. So where can people find them? Give them their website. Give them your social, too, in case they want to follow you also. Sure. Um, so uh, for information about all the Lee Grant stuff, um, the distributor is Hope Runs High. You can Google them or at Hope Runs High on any of the socials. I'm Taylor Prudy, uh, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R-P-U-R-D-E-E. And the films are available 
uh, a bunch of places they'll be they'll start hitting more and more of your favorite like video on demand places as the summer goes on but right now uh, you can get them on Amazon, um, a new service called Altavod, or uh, realone.com is where you can get all of the all of the special editions, which has for all of the all of the films it's got um, additional interviews with grants on all of the films. It's got my program notes, um, and that's just like the the whole all like the all of the things you ever want are on real r e e l dash one dot com. But any place you go to get movies, they'll pop up. They're also if you've got a library card and you're not in New York City. Uh, they're on they're streaming on Canopy, um, which is a great service if you don't know about that. It's a great service for finding both very mainstream movies and also even past movies. You get it through your uh, library or your university. Um, and yeah, the, the, by the way, they, they're around. Know, Lee Grant does have a Instagram. I tagged her on there actually. So. She, she she does she does she's at Lee's on social. She's at the Lee Grant. Um, uh, the, the Twitter and the Facebook, I think, are where she, more of her things happen. Yeah, she's got Instagram. You should follow her everywhere because most of the time it's, like, great for your Lee Grant fans, but not infrequently. She'll just do something that's hilarious or you wouldn't expect from a woman like her. Um, you remember why she's, uh, why she's Lee Grant. And if you don't know what I mean by why she's Lee Grant, Google her, Wikipedia her. Uh, the woman... Lived through every corner of the 20th century. She's one of the only, she might be the only female actor to divide the blacklist. She is, was the first woman to be, win an award from the Director's Guild. She has an acting Oscar. She technically has a direct, uh, directing the documentary Oscar. Woman is a straight G, um, and y'all need to be obsessed. The straight LG, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what, Taylor, because I, I go to film form a lot and I do love movies. Maybe people don't really know that on the podcast and I don't talk about it as much, but. If you do find yourself in the forum, let me know where the, what events are upcoming, and I'll definitely bring you on to talk about that. Maybe people can find you at the forum this, oh, this summer. Oh man, I hang, I, I do, I do hang out at film forum. Um, yeah, definitely. And the the other thing that I should say that involves kind of all, all these pieces, um, uh, I made a film that's not a documentary that came out in September, and it's coming back. Yeah, this September now, the New York and Los Angeles are open. That Lee has a uh, a bit of a cameo in, um, and so that's when everybody goes see the movie. But one of the fun, th- one of the interesting things about that, from this Douglas perspective, is it when we between like the first week that it was open and the third week that it was open. One of the interesting changes was people would walk out of the theater and start recognizing one of the actresses that they hadn't recognized the first few weeks because she, uh, she's a young woman named Emily Mess who had been on the uh, Netflix series Ratchet, right, when the, our film was premiering. And Ratchet is the prequel to Cuckoo's Nest, the film that caused the strife between Kirk and Michael. And that I'm pretty sure Michael had a hand in developing because he still has the rights to that film because Kirk, often when he did the film on Broadway, when he did the play on Broadway and saw him love a bit 50-some years ago. And so the sort of like intellectual genealogy of because Kirk Douglas was randomly into some play in the middle of the 20th century, you know, two generations later, this young woman suddenly is a little bit less obscure. Because it's amazing it, how, yeah, yeah, it's amazing how that happened, isn't it? And it's also amazing yeah. that even, you know, those who are on YouTube can become stars. Like all of this is becoming interconnected. And I want to have you on talk more about this because, uh, well, Kirk Douglas is amazing, but, just the idea that obscurity is disappearing because of mm. all our different connections, right? So I love to I love to talk about that with you yeah. uh, in another in another Definitely, episode. Man. Yeah. So I'm Alex Garrett with Taylor Purdy. He's curating the documentary on the Douglas. I mean, this is so cool uh, to even talk about this. The Douglas family and that curation. Let me just that movie. Let me just tell you one more time: is a father, a son, once upon a time in Hollywood. From Real One in Alta Road. Uh, Taylor, thanks again, and we'll be sort of tuned into that and tune into more things you guys are up to. Great. Awesome, man. Well, have a great Father's Day weekend. You too. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting, talking movies, talking into We're covering a lot of stuff, and, and thanks for continuing to join us here on Alex Garrett Podcast.
Well, Jake Russell of One Block, thank you for doing what you can for your community. Not in our backyard, not in our front yard. We won't accept the trash. We want to clean it up. And uh, at least one organization gets that. Let's hope that continues onward through the city as we are moving post-pandemic. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting. Talk to you soon.